HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, helping restaurants bring hospitality online. Learn more at getbento.com slash opening soon. That's G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com slash opening soon. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, and welcome to Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. We are your hosts. I'm Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McCreary. And if you're just tuning in to our first season, this is a podcast that will walk you through the steps of opening a restaurant from finding business partners to real estate to sourcing, which we'll talk about today. Um, And we'll be picking the brains of some of the world's greatest chefs, restaurateurs, and the vendors that help take their business from an idea to opening soon. And if you've listened to one of our earlier episodes, then you'll you'll probably have figured out that we're not very good at opening restaurants mm-hmm. ourselves, um, but we're we're pretty good at making work where uh, with our company Till at NYC, which is uh, how we've come to meet so many great uh, restaurateurs and people starting their businesses and kind of seeing how they've gone uh, from just their idea to their opening soon. And um, thought that this show would be a great outlet for you know sort of transferring that knowledge on to anybody else that's thinking about opening a restaurant. So we will be chatting today with Morgan Tucker of M. Tucker and Josh Morgan. There's two Morgans, but uh, so don't get confused. Um, the COO of Melt Shop and an operating partner in Orify Brands. But before we delve into our conversation on sourcing with them, we're going to wrap up some key takeaways from our show last week, which was with Aaron and Agatha of Ovenly, and we chatted real estate, and I think we could have talked to them for seven hours that next season. That was a lot of good information. Um, <laughs> And uh, number one was get a lawyer and don't just get any lawyer. Make sure that you get a good one. Uh, you're going to be dealing with, you know, lots and lots of paperwork. And uh, when it comes down to it, your your lease on your place is could uh, 
make or break your, your business. Yeah, lifetime of the business. Um, another thing they pointed out were some specifics within the lease that are good things to have, especially if you're in New York City. They said good guy clause, um, which is a key piece. And then also be careful of assignment clauses, making sure if you're bringing in investors or want to be have the opportunity to sublet that you have something in there that you say you have an assignment clause. And number three is to request a white box. You know, the more work that you can get your landlord to do for you, um, the more cash you can save and reserve, and you can actually focus on the things that you're really good at, like cooking and you know, <laughs> building your brand. Yeah, and they were said to be creative too, which I thought was interesting. Like if the landlord's saying no, then like see if you can finance some of the work within the terms of your lease. Right. Um, the other key takeaway was the lease analysis document. Um, so making sure that you're looking to see the number of tables and the number of turns you're going to be able to do, that your rent is never more than 10% of what those estimated gross sales are going to be. So you can actually pay the bills and making sure that you can actually make your money back within the term of your lease, whether it's a five plus five or a 10 plus five. Right. And the last one, number five, is embracing opportunity is not luck. And so this point was dropped by Aaron, and I think makes a lot of sense, you know, not just in real estate, but obviously your entire business, your entire life, you know, putting yourself in, in the position um, through education, through career, through connections to really capitalize on an opportunity is, you know, there's a lot of work in there. Don't call it luck. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. We work hard to be you know, opportunistic. Our sixth takeaway yeah. is that <laughs> Ikea is not sustainable. Right. <laughs> That's true. That's from Morgan, who uh, he will talk to us about plates and dishware that could be sustainable and shortly. Um, that is very true. It's not breaks and chips. Um, I love it that you listened. Thank you. Of course. So, and I'm rocking my Tillet and, yes. jumpsuit today. Yeah, Morgan is decked. She looks pretty good in her jumpsuit. Um, so this week's episode of Opening Soon is all about sourcing. So you've chosen those partners. You've got your lease. You have a business plan. And now you have your budget set for equipment, table or interior furnishings, uniforms, and more. Where are you starting? What's the lead time? Where do you save? Where do you splurge? Yep. So one more time, we are joined by Morgan Tucker, who's the Director of Business Development at Singer Equipment, where she oversees tabletop, including her signature Little M Tucker line of curated products and partnerships. And Josh Morgan is the COO of MeltShop and the operating partner uh, of RFI Brands. Both of the uh, our guests came to their current roles after years in nationally recognized restaurants, uh, not by luck, and <laughs> including uh, Union Square Hospitality Group, as well as the Nomad. Welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, Thanks for having us. We're happy to have you both. So, um, Morgan, tell, let's start with you. Tell us about you know what M. Tucker does, and you're a 100-year-old company, basically, at this point. So I think you've seen a few restaurants open. Um, tell us how you help people and, and all about it. Absolutely. We certainly have been around for 101 years now. We <laughs> celebrated our uh, 100th anniversary last year, the Singer Equipment Company. Um, is one of the largest distributors um, in the U.S., the largest on the eastern seaboard. And we do contract design, supply, heavy equipment, light equipment, small wares, janitorial, and then tabletop as well as other front-of-house uh, items. So everything from mop and bucket to a new grill to fancy ceramics on the table. <clears throat> and everything in between. Full package. Yep. Cool. A full package. And 
Josh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into like hospitality. And So I was, I kind of stumbled into the restaurants on a whim. I was living in Chicago with some friends, always had this kind of entrepreneurial drive within me. Didn't know what to do with it, but I felt it. And me and my buddies thought that the most logical approach was to get into the restaurant business. Oh, yeah, logical. So we were, we, were, <laughs> yeah, we, were, we, were we weren't very naive back then. Um, and I kind of just told myself, look, if I'm going to do it, if I'm going to pursue this entrepreneurial path via restaurants, let's learn the business. So I applied to uh, Houston's restaurant uh, training group, uh, you know, training uh, manual, um, got got accepted. Thankfully, I don't know how I did it at the time because I had zero experience, yeah. but ended up getting into the program and learned the business from them. And they're they're arguably one of the best operators in the country in full service, and they have a great reputation. There's there's two locations in New York, so I'm sure people around here know them. And I fell in love with the business. Uh, and from then on, you know, I did a couple different things. I took a sidestep, did some real estate, and then the restaurant business was calling me back. And uh, I opened up my own restaurant in Manhattan, had that for about a year and a half. And then I joined uh, the Nomad team and opened up uh, the Nomad project, which was an amazing, amazing project to be part of. And then you switched into quick service. And then I switched into which quick is service. The same exact thing as working at a Michelin starred restaurant. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly the same thing. You know what? We were talking about this earlier, but a lot of people told me when I, when I mentioned that I was considering the switch into fast casual that it's so different. It's. There's so many more elements that you don't know about. And the reality is that part of that is true. Like there are certainly some things that you need to figure out that are different in fast casual versus fine dining. But the principles I've found to be completely the same. You know, we're, whether you're in fast casual, fine dining, casual dining, or, you know, fast food, like you are, we're in the business of connecting with our guests and trying to create experiences, right. maybe in 30 seconds or in four hours, but you're trying to connect with people in a meaningful way. And I find that ultimately that's the same. And, you know, maybe how people go about it is different. But what we've done at Orify Brands and Melt Shop is to try to connect with our guests in a meaningful way in a very short period of time. And all of what we do, whether it be our food design, the partners we use, the packaging, we, it's, all, it's all aimed to try to create an impact. Yeah, I almost feel like it's harder to connect with somebody in a. I mean, it is harder. You it literally has to be that have there less are, time. Yeah, yeah, you literally have less time. We, we have, you know, 30 to 40 seconds at the cashier That's when you're it. taking the order yeah. then you maybe have five seconds when you're handing off the order to someone else you're a true right. operations guy that you know down to the seconds yeah. <laughs> I love it's, it it's all about the seconds I love it so, so speaking like what are some of those touch points that have been like instrumental in your brand that you've like sourced from the beginning that are like say uncompromising that you're like I'm gonna these are touch points that we have to connect with the guest on yeah I mean so our mission we we actually have a mission at Melchop which is literally to connect with our guests yeah. and each other so everything we do we try to bring back to to that mission statement but you know you it's it's about hospitality it's about you know going above and beyond uh, clearly food and service is expected but the way we talk about it is that that's the baseline expectation you yeah. know you got to you got to be so far above those expectations and and to do that you've got to you know you've got to engage you've got to educate you've got to be friendly with your with your guests when they walk into your restaurant you've got to always be smiling and it's hard to do that when it's very repetitious you know you just have people coming in after you know, minute after minute. So 
Um, yeah, it's it's tough, but you know, it's all about the it's sequence. Hard problem of to have people coming in and in minute after minute, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm like, oh, what a hard problem to have. That's a yeah. good problem to have. I love it. No, it's a great problem to try to solve. Yeah, awesome. So, Morgan, tell us a little bit about like. So, you guys have opened tons of restaurants. What have you seen as people being like? This is really instrumental in like how I'm going to connect with the guest. Like, what kind of things do you provide to sort of help with those touch points? For us, it's really about the service that we can provide to the chefs and the restaurateurs. If we can give them a meaningful, enjoyable experience that's yeah. going to carry them throughout the day. If we make it challenging when our drop comes in in the morning, <laughs> or even if our driver's been in traffic or a truck's broken down or who knows what can happen, we've heard it all. Um, it's really the way that we engage with our customers that then allows them to continue to service their customers. And I can certainly vouch for that because our, my connection to Morgan's was I was um, at Nomad and I was kind of running our CGS program, mm -hmm. China Glass Silver. And uh, I had worked with a guy named Scott Clayman from M. Tucker who was phenomenal. And he, he was just one of the greatest uh, partners. We, we try to call our, we, we don't like to use the, the name vendor. We prefer to use the term partner because we think uh. that establishing a value around you know, we can't do it without them. They can't do it without us. It's, it's super important. As somebody who could technically be called a vendor, exactly. we look at all the restaurants we work with. I never thought it was. A, I never thought about it like I, that. I'm no, like our we want to be your partner. We want to be your partner. Yeah, <laughs> your partners. Your partners in our book. Yeah. But I was working with Scott. So then I, when I went to Orify Brands and Melt Shop, um, Scott was so good that I brought you know Scott and the M Tucker team to Orify, and then we built this great relationship. Unfortunately, Scott passed in a tragic. You know, it was an untimely death, but. Uh, Morgan then took over essentially the account. And look, the the reason why I was so emphatic about bringing this partner over was because of the service, because of, you know, just, you know, the the ability for, for him and Morgan and, and, and the other people on their team to just be responsive and timely and accommodating all of our needs because we're not we're not easy people to work with. I'm sure. I'm sure you guys know this. I mean, we I have a lot of demands. <laughs> I think but, most people are, you know, go about, you know, especially when they're opening their restaurant, they're thinking about each little piece that they want to get and where they're going to get it, and probably wouldn't necessarily think to come to an M Tucker and be able to get all those things from them. Can you give us? I, I know that you guys work together, and you probably thought about that at one point. Tell us, you know, the difference between sourcing each piece from a different from a different partner not vendor yep. <laughs> and you know like just you know how that changes you know what you what you're able to do with your business so from our perspective you know ideally you know vendor consolidation is is important to us it simplifies operations so if we can get as many items let's say in smallwares from just one vendor partner that's that's preferable and m tucker really did offer that um, all of our disposables and smallwares we've been getting from m tucker probably for six years now wow. um so so that's, that's, that's one important element, especially on Melt Shop. You know, on the full service side, for instance, we have our Little B Table brand, which Morgan and I worked very closely with when we launched that about five years ago. You know, you tend to want fancier things and you want the nicest plateware and the silver and there is a tendency to go to different vendors to get it. Um, and I think it's just a balance. You know, it's a balance of, of how do you articulate your brand, how do you do so in a way that resonates with the guest, and then how do you do so also in a way that makes financial sense and that's you know that's economical right. and also doesn't drive your gm and your managers crazy for because <laughs> they, they have, have to like order a from 10 different yeah, of like as a vendor we yeah. just want to know what your expectations are yeah and if you can give us a really great like vision of your concept which little beat has always been 
then we can be the best partner for you because we understand exactly what your needs and wants are. And when someone doesn't have their vision down and they don't set the right expectations for any of their partners, they're really setting themselves up for failure. Yeah, no, that I mean, that's a really interesting point. So people come to you and you're like the best case scenario. I mean, just for our listeners, too, as you're getting organized, like have your have what do they need like to turn the keys over to you? And where can you guys like be the most helpful and save people money? Is it? I mean, it really is dependent on the concept. Yeah. Um, like Josh said before, we've worked with him and his teams at the highest level of service yeah. and at much more of a fast, casual, quick service anything. model. So I think for us, it's understanding what you're looking to get from a distribution partner, and we can accommodate any of the requests. So we can do, uh, like I said earlier, design services. We can work with your designers and we can just source the equipment for you. We can source the exact equipment. We can value engineer the equipment if you're looking to save money. Right. And we can do that exact process for all the aspects. Interesting. And I thought something else that was really interesting to you, to me when we were chatting before is about like the like having trucks have clearance. So there's like logistical things that like you might not think of when you're trying to like save money on one end. So like the trucks from M. Tucker have cle- have like security clearance at some of the big buildings in Manhattan, <laughs> which I would have like never even thought about. It almost yeah. goes back to some of our other episodes of just like kind of you know, knowing where to outsource in a way so that you can focus on, you know, the things that you're really good at, which is, you know, is it accepting packages from 18 different people and, you know, coordinating when UPS is going to pick up, when it's going to deliver, or do you have like a logistical team that's basically working? I mean, we have a great warehouse guy. He's probably the heart and soul of our company, (laughs) but he's going to hate me when I say, you know, for our good customers, we'll do pretty much anything. (laughs) And And that's warehouse products that, you know, really complete the package that we're making weekly or daily drops to our customers. Anyway, we can throw on some of the specialty melt shop custom designs. (laughs) Speaking, Speaking of custom, why don't we like everybody wants, custom and it's certainly, you know, it's the core of our personal business with Tilt NYC, but tell us how, like, how you see the custom affects your business, Josh, and how, you know, how you've been able to work with people, you know, aside from Josh and developing, whether it's plates or uniforms or flatware or everything. Yeah, for sure. One thing we were saying earlier is, you know, what percentage of people want something that's custom? And it's 100%. (laughs) 100% of customers want to know that what they're doing and what they're receiving as far as goods and services are unique and special. And that's definitely a service that we pride ourselves on. Um, Anything that you're going to buy from us, we'll make sure that there's not someone just next door uh, with the same... You know, is there always like, I mean, I know for us, it's, it's not necessarily a premium. So I think it's, you know, is it always necessarily a premium for custom? It's It's not necessarily. I know we talked about, you know, knowing where to spend and knowing where to cut costs. And I think, again, if, you know, having something with a custom mark or a custom logo or your brand on it is important, then we can make that part of the bundle of services at the, like the highest level and then work from there. But uh, custom packaging, as far as disposables are concerned, I know that you could probably speak to specific numbers, but when someone's walking around with a product that has their name on it, your name on it, um, there really is like no amount of money that, I mean, you could say it's worth. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's free it's, advertising. It's, it's free advertising, it's marketing. You know, we, 
Yeah, so we've been working with M Tucker for for several years, and they've helped us with all of our our custom packaging. And in fast casual, the paper portion of your spend, you know, is is a big part of your total cost of goods. So we're constantly right. trying to monitor that, stay within a certain range. Um, and we've gone through so many iterations from you know on the branding side, on the actual paper product side, and really it's just you know it's 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 a balance. Like you're trying to get that branding out, uh, you know, take advantage of that free marketing. Getting those eyeballs on on your on your products, but at the same time doing so in a way that makes sense and it's 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 financially feasible. And we were talking about this a little earlier, but we had spent a lot a decent amount of money on these custom bags that had a little cutout handle. Uh, uh, the die cut. Oh, the die cut. More yeah. having die cut. Yeah. having. Uh, like, <laughs> you still you still might have a couple hundred cases of that in store. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but you know, we spent a lot of money because we thought that you know that's what best articulated our brand. And they were great bags, but we have since over the years learned that we can still accomplish a similar effect with great branding, with just a more you know a standard off the shelf type of bag. And we've since migrated to that and. Um, you know, look, it's it's a little bit of a push and pull. You know, the pendulum is con- constantly swinging to to one or the uh, the other sides. Yeah, and the other thing I thought that was interesting that we talked about is like some of the brands, like with the sustainability component, where they value that, but you have to make sure your customer is like willing to pay for it. Yeah, there's been a huge trend in recent years to um, to be sustainable, to do things and offer products that are good for the environment and feels good chicken. Morgan was was commenting on this. I don't even know if I realized it, but. They were one of the first brands to go fully compostable one with of all of their, their plastics and you know utensils and and you know the reality is we all believe in this and we all think it's yeah. important and we all I think in in somewhere in our priority list are trying to to make make progress but you there also has, has to be a balance you know so for Melt Shop we are not fully compostable we still use plastics uh, some plastic utensils and straws not because we don't want to you know sur- uh, provide them. We do think it's important, but we also have to make sure that the guests, uh, you know, or it, it matters to them, and also that it makes sense financially, you know, because it is a, a big premium to 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 turn those on. Yeah. And you know, look, it's sometimes it's a business decision, sometimes it's a you know environmental decision, and it's it's about the balance, right? You can never be just all or nothing one way. It's kind of trying to find that happy medium. I would say that it. Sorry, <laughs> I would say that people are always like hyper focused on sustainable disposables. And they often forget about sustainable kitchen equipment on the heavy equipment sector. And then sustainable plateware, glassware, flatware. Um, If you're outfitting a kitchen and your sustainable mission is front and center, please make sure that you understand where your plates are coming from. Or where your apparel is coming from. Or that your fryer is, like you said. Exactly. Yeah, tell us about the fryers. It's just heavy equipment is rated. And there's some pieces of heavy equipment in kitchens that offer a sustainable mission or are trying to do the right thing and maybe you're just blissfully unaware. But please educate yourselves because equipment is, I mean, the, the equipment sector grows at the most rapid pace of probably any other in uh, my side of the business. Mm-hmm. But there are so many incredible advancements in sustainable products. Yeah. So, And speaking of that, like, so tell us a little bit, because you mentioned like technology is changing so much. So tell us a little bit about like on the equipment side when you're outfitting a restaurant do you want the latest and greatest and how often are things changing and all that kind of good Yeah, stuff. so it really depends on your concept. We know a lot of people who can buy, a, find a used Hobart and it's going to save you a fortune and we'll totally support something like that. Uh, equipment does kind of advance at the m- most rapid paces I could recall. Um, now you go to these trade shows like we were all just at the NRA show 
And the restaurant show, not the gun show. Sorry. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> different. We were the not other NRA. The other <laughs> NRA. I always like to clarify. All right, sorry, go ahead. No. Um, and you'll see that like every piece of, every brand has a line extension or a new product that they're releasing on the show floor. And it never used to be like this. But as we said before, like service agents then need to be aware of how to manage and maintain these specific pieces of equipment. But as long as you find the right service agents who can work on the equipment that you're buying, it really doesn't matter for some pieces that they're older and used. And for others, it does matter. And that's really based on your concept and which pieces are going to be your workhorses, right. what you speak about with your kitchen designer yeah. and your contract sales supplier. It's like Is there bringing a- your iPhone 2 into the Apple store and expecting uh, them to, know. Them to yeah. like fix it and improve it on the spot. So you feel like people like the technicians are up to date with like because it's turning over so fast you feel like they're up to date with the I think they are but tech. I think that service you know we're in right now we're in Manhattan I don't actually live in Manhattan but wherever <laughs> you are yeah. there are different types of service agents and the speed at which someone can come to you on a weekend or a night is extremely important yeah. in the middle of service and just making sure that you know who your service agents are right before you open and what pieces of equipment they're equipped to, to serve. And the, kit, the kitchen equipment game is, is tough because there's always that shinier penny that comes out. Right. You know, and you want it and you want the custom and you want the you know, chefs, especially in full service. Like That's their arena, right? So yeah. they want it to be fully functioning at the highest level. And it's where level. they spend like the greatest hours the gr- of their day. Hello, exactly. like 120 hours a week. Yeah. So. But you, can very, you can very easily spend millions you know, right. on just a, a beautiful kitchen. You know, not that it's right or wrong, but it can just very quickly add up. So at the fast casual level, what we're trying to do is we're trying to accomplish the similar thing, like standardization with equipment that's durable, that does what it needs to do, that fits within our process. But then we got to try to strip away all of the fancy bells and whistles. And, you know, so Melt Shop, we were doing custom yeah. you know, stuff. And then now everything is slide in. You literally roll it in and you hook it up because we've. Because you have 15 we ne- locations. Because we have 15 yeah. locations and, and we're opening 10 more by the end of the year. So wow. we have to know that the equipment package is standardized, it's fixed, that it's easy to install, that you know, it accomplishes all those scalable checkboxes, yeah. I guess. And do you so, have technician partners and you know that are so, on call or on so, hand for all those things? So we've so we go through the when, when we when we select a piece of equipment, um, like a turbo chef, we use turbo chef conveyor air impingement technology for our sandwiches. Oh, right. Like what? how many do you like it when I, <laughs> like, you like it when I talk dirty? Yeah. <laughs> like come again? Yeah. Yeah. Is so, there one of those in each shop? So, so we like, have two of them. So we, we, we double up. So we stack them for redundancy. So that's one of the things we'll consider right. what happens if we lost a major piece of equipment. But then we select a turbo chef because we know we've met with the reps. Like we've gone to their facilities. We've, you know, we know what the troubleshooting R&M you know, implications are of that equipment. We know who the local you know, New York provider or the Florida, you know, service provider will yeah. be if it does go down. So, you know, you kind of got to vet out some of those things. And M Tucker is great and can help, you know, answer a lot of those questions as well. So if you're, if you go to the NRA show and you see a new piece of equipment and you have questions, you know, you can go to them and ask, you know, what are the implications? Yeah. Does it work? Right. Is it durable? Do you have other, you know, partners that you've worked with in Manhattan that I can go see and visit and, and kick the tires. Interesting. So you go and you like visit other totally. restaurants who are using yeah. it. If, Interesting. As long as they're cool with like, it. Yeah. But that's a good point. I mean, that speaks to your point earlier about like your vendors aren't vendors, they're partners because 
you don't want like an oh shit. And moment. your customers are partners too. I mean, we have so many customers who act as like test kitchens. Yeah. Where you can go and ask them questions, and they've just gotten like a pretty sweet deal on purchasing that piece of equipment, so How that do you they get can on that be. List? I know. <laughs> so you, do you give people like <laughs> if people are going to test out a new piece of equipment? Do you guys give them special deals and stuff? Just if they're willing to be someone where we can send, send other people, other people and they are you know eloquent yeah. and informed, uh, we have some people who will buy the equipment and they're supposed to, you know, connect it to their phone and monitor the, you know, all the metrics and make sure that, you know, everything's reporting up to the cloud so that right. the manufacturer can then get that data. And if you're doing all of these things, then you become a real asset for the manufacturer. So noted on ways to save money, be a partner <laughs> and guinea pig it and you might get some sweet equipment for a discount. So actually we're going to take a super quick break um, and then we'll come back with more. Founders Daniel and Susan opened a rustic hotel and restaurant on a sandy beach in Tulum, Mexico. At the hotel's restaurant, they sourced local ingredients and fresh fish delivered by local fishermen directly to the hotel's beach by boat. Zamas embodies the warm and adventurous spirit of Tulum, and since 1993, it has been an iconic destination for locals and tourists alike. Bento helped them build an online image and colorful new website that captures the essence of Tulum and inspires visitors to book a trip to the resort's many offerings. Samas is one of 4,000 that's powered by Bento. Visit getbento.com slash opening soon to learn more. All right, welcome back. Uh, again, we're chatting with uh, Morgan Tucker and Josh Morgan, and we're talking about uh, sourcing and kind of you know figuring out um, how you go about getting all of the uh, equipment into your restaurant once you've got the lease and everything signed. Um, a couple wrap-ups from the first half is, number one, um, your vendors are not vendors. They're your partners. They're in it with you. So like if you work well with them, um, then make sure that you treat them that way or that you feel that way about them. Uh, number two is to focus on your strengths. So if you have the opportunity to work with M. Tucker or a company like M. Tucker um, that can handle the logistics, you know, just aside from the equipment itself, uh, the shipping and all those things, it can really take a lot off your plate. And number three is to make sure that you know uh, your service agents and that they're going to be you know, quick and willing and responsive to whatever equipment that you've bought. And lastly, kind of in, uh, in the same vein, is to vet that equipment. So like find out you know, any great equipment supplier should be willing to share some of their clients that are going to speak highly and let you see the product. So go check it out on hand and see what kind go of... Go do a you kitchen know, tour for yeah, your friends. Tour. <laughs> Take it in. Um, that's all I got. Yeah. Um, so I think one thing, you know, speaking of like the latest and greatest and like one thing that we had talked about before, and I think that's really important to a lot of our listeners is like, how do you actually pay for all this stuff? So like when you're starting, so we talked a little bit about like financing versus just having the cash and just curious about your thoughts. So, uh, yeah, financing can be tough uh, yeah. or just paying for restaurants can in general be tough. They're very expensive, uh, which is why, you know, what I was saying earlier, keeping your costs down whenever you can is super important. Um, you know, on the I think his, you know most people go through kind of different phases. Like they go through friends and family, you know, ra raises where they're trying to just aggregate and syndicate some money. Um, sometimes doing like a financing package on a, on like equipment um, can certainly help yeah. preserve some cash uh, for operations. For instance, you know the partner that we work with. So we have uh, equity partners at at Orify. They actually have a division uh, in their financing group that will specifically finance 
equipment package. Oh, really? Uh, sometimes, you know, you it may be difficult to qualify depending on where you're at, whether it's your first restaurant, whether you have a couple. But our franchise partners, for instance, I can go to them and I can say, hey, if you're interested in financing your equipment package, here's a contact or here's a name. You can reach out to them. And then it's just kind of on them to see whether they they can uh, qualify and take advantage uh, and there's there's several companies out there that can that can do financing on on things like equipment. Uh, thankfully, now you know as we've progressed, you know from the early days of just trying to figure it all out, we we pay for everything up front. Um, and you're but, always going to save money, and if that's the it, case, if, as long as you can have it. Long term, so, it's obviously less expensive. Right. If you can build it into the business plan, then always have enough yeah. cash to to buy your equipment outright. But yep. But it's look, it's 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 tough, you know. Financing in general is tough. I mean, you know, for I don't know if you, do you guys have any uh, at M Tucker? Uh, you have referrals for financing arms. We or do. Companies. We have a lot of people who still continue. It's like historically been known to like lease wear washing equipment, so we can point you in di- different directions. We have some creative ways, uh, mm-hmm. people that we can, you know, introduce um, who could potentially support. Um, but it's really, you know, one of those areas where it's something tangible. It's an asset that you'll own for a very long time, mm-hmm. and you're going to be the one who's taking care of it. So if it's something that you can pay for up front, for us, that's really the direction that we push. I, I am a big believer. I have been historically, and especially in full service, for pieces of equipment that require a lot of ongoing maintenance mm-hmm. to, to to consider leasing options. So for wear washing, you know, mm-hmm. we've we've partnered. We actually currently partner with EcoLab. Not for wear washing, but for our, just our chemicals in general. Yeah. But in a full service restaurant where you're going to get such high usage and volume on your machine, leasing might be a good option. So you get to save the money, uh, the upfront costs on buying a, a piece of equipment like that. Same thing with ice machines. You know, yeah. there's a lot of great leasing options for for uh, for ice machines. You know, bars that they they tend to be very finicky. Like a service package or something. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And if you go down, they'll deliver ice. You know, right. so oh really? You know, we had the yeah. you know. <laughs> Years ago, cold draft was super important. You know, the, the yeah. square one by one right. ice cubes everyone wanted. Now there's there's all sorts of varieties of it, but you know those machines go down yeah. a lot, and you a do lot? not want to. Well, I mean, depending on <laughs> like the, define a lot. Depending on the manufacturer, some yeah. are just finicky. Right. But anyways, point being, you know, if there's going to be high volume and potential high maintenance, leasing is is a good option. And again, wear washing, wear washing and ice, ice machines, machines and full else. service you need to build in to actually purchase basically is yeah. from what you're seeing, right, Morgan? From what I'm seeing, I think that there's opportunities where you can potentially look to buy something secondhand. Um, but a lot of the equipment that we're selling today has suggested to buy. Yeah. Do you yeah. guys do any secondhand or no? We don't. Only brand new. And you get the you get the built in uh, warranties, you know, right. exactly. it varies from the manufacturer. But most of these manufacturers have pretty substantial programs, warranty programs. And if you know to ask for the extended warranties and you ask your dealer partner or you ask the manufacturer for the extended warranties, uh, they'll often be uh, amenable. So ask for an extended warranty. Yeah, it's amazing. Very important. She's like, ask, yeah. So Morgan's going like wink, wink you in don't the studio. Ask. No, it's if they don't ask, they don't give it to you people. So ask for the extended yeah. warranty. Yeah, it's, it's easy to forget to ask. Yeah. The other One of the other things I thought... Um, that could be helpful is kind of knowing when to buy. Like, yeah, timeline. How long does it take to get that crazy grill that you guys have? <laughs> how long the does turbo it chef. take to get you know you know custom ceramics built? Like, are there things that you know that that people should you know start thinking about six months out or like 
I think customization is king now and even on the heavy equipment side. So there's less stuff that's sitting on the shelves because everyone has the option to do something a little bit unique, a little bit special. So for that reason, I almost think there's less product sitting on the shelves, even though it's probably faster to manufacture today than ever before. So there is that fine line. I would say on tableware, which is really my area of expertise, I would give it four to six months if you want to do something really special and unique and you want to make sure that everything to your exact specifications is there for opening day. How do you deal when people don't have four to six months? Because <laughs> kind of, we get this a lot. We get this you know, a lot, too, in our There's always sure. you know, a way to try and work through it. But There's <laughs> always stuff on our shelves. Right. We have two uh, warehouses with over 150,000 square feet of products wow. in Elverson, Pennsylvania and Patterson, New Jersey. So we can open your restaurant tomorrow, um, and it'll look damn great. But yeah. it just won't be custom. Compromise. Right. But people, I know right. it's like people, yeah, people want custom stuff in two weeks and you're like. Are there, you know, we, we talked about this as the, you know, one of the components of building and, you know, building on a budget and being a little bit scrappy. Can you, Josh, would you recommend like, um, can you buy something today that'll get you six months while you like start to generate revenue and then go get the really incredible you know glassware yeah i mean look i think ultimately you have to make some tough business decisions between what is you know a need versus a want or what's a luxury or what is something that i can just get through with you know through opening right and sometimes those those decisions are are tough to make when it's like your first you know location it's the first time proving out your brand you're trying to make a big statement and we i think as restaurateurs or entrepreneurs we get we all get kind of stuck into that mindset where you think the thing that you think is going to equate to bigger business <laughs> yeah. or bigger right. is not really the thing that's that's equaling it, you know. So right. it's just hard to step outside and kind of look at okay, is that that plate or that silver or that machine or that custom you know equipment that is taking me six months to make is that really moving the needle? And I think if you try to pragmatically step outside of yourself during those those early days, which is very hard to do, the answer is often no. You know yeah. that you don't need that extra that extra spend or that extra, you know, bells and whistles and, and, you know, look, it's a hard discipline. And I think a lot of times at scale, you, you're forced to realize that discipline. Like we have at Melt Shop, you know, if you're opening 10 restaurants, you can't change. I mean, if we change one bag or one piece of equipment, it literally will derail our entire construction schedule and timing and ordering. So it's almost like it's forced on you, but then you learn like, oh yeah, that thing I did, I actually didn't need that thing. You know, I could have gone, gone away, you know, gotten away with, you know, the stock, uh, the stock. I would say that when you first open, people really identify with the products that are tactile in your space. So it may be that last five or 10% of your spend, Mm -hmm. but there's such an intimate connection with those products and that's what's being photographed. So I often get so upset when someone at the last minute compromises on China glassware, flatware, no. just both like takeaway so goods. Get a fryer, but get a brand new <laughs> yeah. tableware set for the, no, the first six true, months, and then but there's, go back. No, and, there's, there's a lot of yeah. truth in that. There is a lot of truth in that because I mean that's a really good point, and, and we true. say this all the time too. It's like people really think about like everything within their space, and then they like didn't do anything for their staff uniform, and that's who the guest is like 
intimately interacting with on like right. a touch base. So, I mean, that is true. And especially in like the Instagram age, you can't deny that like your food will be photographed, whether mm-hmm. it's a grilled cheese and it's packaging yep. or like, you know, at a Michelin star. And, I, and I think that's a great point because when you make that list of the things that you, you know, you feel like you need versus the things that maybe you, you can save on, you know, that list certainly at the top of that list should be the things that are, that your guests are engaging with or the, or that the, the right. guests are seeing. So uniform, stemware, plateware, like those are the things that create that experience that so I was maybe, talking about earlier. Yeah. So sometimes you have to spend on those right. things because they are super important, especially the when you're getting off the ground. Like, and then the chefs need to share need their <laughs> design ideas with the front of house partner, yeah. right? So, nope. so basically sure you don't, not. <laughs> do you not need that, that custom piece of heavy equipment? Is that a place to save? I don't know. In opening, yeah, I think opening months. Makes I mean, sense. it's it's like on a just to give an example, like on a fryer, you could save a thousand dollars on one fryer just by removing the computers that control the touchscreen, hmm. right? So it can be super fancy, like a cockpit, or it can be just just push one button. So there's a lot of money to be saved in just I've the never features. used a fryer with a digital uh, buttons yeah, on they, it. So that sounds they're out there really impressive. <laughs> yeah. So there's there, there's there's money to be chipped yeah. off, you know, on those on those budgets. Cool. I think that's been some some great insight. Yeah, that is good. You want to move on uh, lightning round? Yes, let's do some lightning round. Okay, so yeah, so these are just meant to be quick, like one to two word answers off the top of your head. Um, So favorite splurge when opening a new restaurant or place to splurge? Can I say walk-on mats? (laughs) Walk-in mats. Walk-on, you know, when you go. Walk-on mats. So I I don't like the the roll-up. Mats. Yeah, uh-huh. I just don't like the way they look, so I like the built-in. They call them walk or walk-off mats. Okay, they're built into the floor. They have like a grate. Uh, Spencer, I, I don't think I've won this that battle yet. I think Spencer, we still are have. Are you listening? Ro- <laughs> 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 That's my splurge. Recommended splurge, Morgan. Oh, I have so many. Like in what category? Just whatever your favorite. I would say something that we talk about in the kitchen at the chef's garden is a blast chiller. Like. Blast Something chiller. that you didn't know. You, I mean, I guess you knew you kind of needed blast it, but now they nice. like can't live without yeah. it. Do you have blast chillers at any of your uh, spots? We do at Little, Little Beat. Beat. You do? Okay. Yep. Not I love that show. Morgan knows what equipment that they have. <laughs> I like the Orify brand. She's like, Little Beat in Midtown has now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, cool. Um, one common mistake you see people make when sourcing or when opening. Oh, gosh. Uh, for me, it's that your concept is, you know, this American born and bred and then your china is from china (laughs) (laughs) yeah details matter i would agree with that i think or your apparel is not right made in the usa USA. right yeah i would agree with that for me it's just not picking the right partner you know i mean that means so much to us people work with people that they don't like or don't have this mutual respect and appreciation for and just not worth it you're, the, you're, you're our partners help us succeed it's yeah it's the most important thing yeah and i think that's true i mean from our, this conversation today it's like business partners or like vendor partners um definitely means sure. so much uh most exciting sustainable initiative in qsr Ooh. i think the straws are interesting the strawless uh, lid know, or the paper straw the paper straw yeah um and the lids as well you know as like another option uh, right. it's 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 hard because a lot of people don't. The quality of the paper is not very durable, and, and right. there's, there's not much longevity. That's why I like the strawless lid. I feel like those yeah, are great. Yeah, which is super cool. But we we have not begun to tackle this, but we are we are certainly talking about it. Do you see a lot of people picking those up? It's it's actually remarkable how many different types of companies have gone into the paper straw category, and still no one can get something okay, that right. really works. It We've doesn't. seen like beeswax line, which is like also not really sustainable. 
So right. it's, it's always have, a challenge. There must have been a dozen more or more vendors at NRA. Oh, my just God. Paper straws. Straws. Just What about straws. the bamboo straws? Are those, I feel like those are a good option. I mean, you said Nomad before. I know they use like the hay straws, yeah. which are obviously at a premium price point. We're continuing to we, try to find and even the why do we need lids. straws somebody remind me i know me. <laughs> i like the, tell me yeah what about the like the lids they the, just yeah, like don't the, some i don't know it's, for me it's not an it's enjoyable change, drinking experience but the habit i think changing is the really, consumer habit real challenge it's very hard um, unless you feel like you're drinking out of like a little baby bottle sometimes it's like a coffee yeah, <laughs> it's a coffee cup thing right um is, uh, what is a sippy cup a sippy cup yep morgan your dream restaurant client to outfit <laughs> I've been so lucky. We we really have. I mean, this year we worked with Tack Room. So, like, what's more dream than Thomas Keller? Yeah. Um, I think right now we're doing a lot of work with Marriott luxury brands, and okay. that's super exciting for me. They have intention and thoughtfulness, and they really try to be um, on brand and uh, obviously a little bit less budget conscious so um, as long as the products are really authentic and yeah. can withstand the rigors of the operations that they're being put into they're they're special and Josh what about the dream location for the next melt shop a dream location yeah uh, I think the west coast I'd like to yeah. tackle uh, LA area right oh. now you guys are on the eastern seaboard we're pretty much mid-Atlantic we're starting to go down south opening Florida in the next couple of months actually that's exciting. But yeah, I think making that West Coast jump. Yeah, so East West Coast, Coast before the airport. We talked about uh, no, the airport. No, the West that, that's like ideal. I think yeah. it'll take I think it'll take a little while to get to the West Coast. Okay. Maybe at least 12 months, 18 months. Yeah. That's not that long. Yeah. In reality. <laughs> go, Remember yeah. when long used to be like 10 years? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's like long 12 months. <laughs> Anyways, um, what's your so I think we touched a little bit on this but what's your favorite kitchen or restaurant gadget that you've seen recently? Whatever. I saw at NRA oh, a stupid. ventless fryer. I thought you were going to say your robot. Oh, Flippy. Flippy. <laughs> you have a robot? I don't know anything about Flippy. Right. I just know that it That's really was. Flippy a- is definitely cooler than the ventless fryer. But the ventless fryer is cool because we're exploring a prototype without hoods, which oh. is wow. something That's we're great. really excited about. But Flippy is a robotic arm that fries that drops baskets into fryers for you. No. And Do you have that in any of your restaurants? No, no, no. We just saw it at NRA. And the robot's name is Flippy. We developed a relationship. We're It's a we're robotic talking. arm that drops <laughs> it's pretty the cool. fryer baskets. It just takes, you know, look, a lot of a lot of the manual processes involved in in QSR that are that are hard to do and dirty, you yeah. know, not, not physically dirty, but they're, they're they're perceived as like a dirtier job. Right. Manning a fryer is hot. It's dangerous. It's you know, there's oil everywhere. It smells. Yeah. So like kind of removing that and right. being able to reallocate that type of labor to doing something like touching guests or you know creating experiences has drastic Im- implications for you know the brand. So. Uh, What's it's, the price it's, tag on Flippy? I actually don't know. The the no? rep was had a tough time giving us pricing. <laughs> <laughs> is so, it a prototype or this is something that's actually in no, production? No, this this one is it's from some company out in California. I think it is live in in uh, in a couple of test locations. I don't remember where. That it's it's very wild. early. I think preliminary kind of tech, but but that whole notion of like automating, you know, not using automation, automation to right. replace, but to reallocate to more important parts of our business is super compelling to us. Yeah. Um, going from there, not your favorite, but like an essential kitchen gadget that like every kitchen should get. Morgan. Um, 
have a bunch of new advancements in like time and temperature. So okay. thermometers, uh, pH, infrared, and then uh, dishwasher thermometer. So there's some some pretty cool. Keep the health department off your back. Oh my gosh, what a week for New York. <laughs> you got to be DOH ready. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, and then the last one is our your biggest oh shit moment for for both of you, I guess. Something that's like I don't know, been tragic in delivery or wildly new equipment that came out or I think one of mine was when I convinced Spencer to adopt a new configuration of our line. It was called, we called it the horseshoe. Okay. So it was meant to just have at this continu- at Melchop. It was meant to have a continuous flow of the sandwich around this horseshoe until it found its way out <laughs> to the guest. And it was a disaster. And Spencer still doesn't let me live it down. Aww. And it's still actually in, in two of our restaurants. So, and the what reason why it was a disaster. You have a straight line? It was, it's, well, we have two different versions, but it was, it was way too long. So the distance mm-hmm. between uh. where the guest handoff was to the equipment was just ridiculously long. Okay. So I've ceased all <laughs> operations as a kitchen designer. Okay. <laughs> know your strengths. Yeah. We have so many stories of <laughs> driving. You know, we take 20 trucks into Manhattan every day with single-man single, single man teams. Um, so you never know. So be nice to your drivers. Never know what, what yes. can happen. Yeah. They're your partners. They're your partners. Be nice <laughs> to the drivers. Um, let's just quickly shout out some restaurants or friends who are opening soon. Did you guys have anybody you wanted to shout out? You know I do. Yeah, tell me. Tell All me. Right. So opening last week, so I know it's not opening soon, but shout out to two of my favorite people in the whole world. Brad Kilgore and Soraya Kilgore opened Ember last uh-huh. week. Yeah. And what's super cool about Ember for us um, at LMT Provisions is that they actually used three of our vendor partners' tablewares together in this like awesome you know, explosion of black and blue and gold heaven from Anfora, who Josh is a big fan of, and uh, Robert Gordon Pottery, which is an Australian ceramicist we brought here, and then Felton Fat, which is hyper-local out of Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. Nate, who you guys know. So Cool. And then um, so many other projects they're working on. Anybody you want to shout out, Josh? We, our sister brand, so Little B Table, is opening up uh, in Greenwich, Connecticut, which will, oh, so it'll be our rest. first restaurant, well, actually our second restaurant outside of Manhattan. Um, but, you know, stones throw away. So yeah. it's, we still kind of consider it our backyard. So that'll be the end of June, I think. Cool. Right exciting. on Greenwich Ave. Cool. Exciting. So we're excited for that. All right. Um, next week, tune in as we chat design and build out with Missy Robbins. She's the chef owner of Lilia and Missy Restaurants in Brooklyn. I'm sure you've heard of her. Um, we'll explore how creativity, budget, and utility, which is super important, all play a role in how you design your first and perhaps your second restaurants. Uh, special thanks again to Morgan and Josh for talking us through the process of sourcing. Um, if you were late to class or forgot your pencil, we've got your back. You can check our blog on tillitnyc.com to catch our wrap-up of key points from today. Can you guys tell everybody where to find you? Yeah, for sure. We're uh, at Singer M. Tucker at LMT Provisions and um, Little M. Tucker. And uh, in Melt Shop, we have five locations in Manhattan. Uh, Little Beat uh, has, I think, six or seven in, in Manhattan. Uh, we've also got Little Beat Table, one location on Park Avenue, Feels Good Chicken, uh, four locations with, with a fifth coming soon. It's easy to find you. And then, <laughs> it's hard and to then find I got to give props. We're also, all the five guys in the city are, are part of our, our company. So we've got 13 of them. Oof. Wow. Busy guy. 
Um, well, thanks for joining us. Uh, follow the journey on Heritage Radio and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on at We Are Opening Soon and at Till It NYC. And if you love what we're doing, then tell everyone you know. <laughs> Go on your podcast app and follow us, rate us, and review us. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.